hell have you been? The last time we was here in the studio was hot enough out for me to be wearing my bikini, wasn't it? And now it's cold enough for me to be sitting here in my plush onesie. Isn't it? That's how cold it is. That's how long it's been, Dookie. We're coming up for bonfire night. Isn't it? And the Halloween. When all the kiddies come round and they ask for the sweeties and all that and they bug me. Isn't it? Dookie, where the hell are you been? It ain't good enough, Dookie. It's been too long. It's been weeks and weeks. You know how many pies I've had since the last time I was here in this studio. I've had a lot of pies. Isn't it? Me and Roy, we've been eating a lot of pies, isn't it? Hundreds. Probably hundreds since the last time I was here in this studio, Dookie. That, that's how long it's been. Studio Marsha MacDonald. Yeah, peeps, what up? And keeping the alliteration name heavy introduction well into play, Sylvia Silversmith. Hello, everyone. That's a very good introduction, Dookie. I try to, you impressive. know, mix things up a bit. Very impressive. It's been a long time, Dookie. It has been a while. Yeah, Irene's not happy. No, she seemed a little bit um, distressed about the delay between shows. Why has it been so long, Dookie? Mr. Armstrong from a band called Green Day once indicated that he required waking up when September arrived. I needed waking up when October arrived. I see. And it's it's been a hectic couple of months yes. for all of us. Yes, it's been... For a host of very understandable reasons. And also, Marsha, you've been all up and down the country relentlessly. Dookie, my ass has seen more train action this past couple of months than it has seen any kind of action in, in, in a really long time. I mean, you've seen parts of the UK that don't actually exist. Yeah, I've been to some places. Any lowlights that you care to share? Uh, low lights. Uh, let's see here. You know, it's not really a low. I don't know. Did we? We probably because I went to Kidderminster before Edinburgh. Berg. And so you go to these places, and you <laughs> you clearly are able to absorb the proper pronunciation. Well, exactly. Of these respective I like towns. to blend. Yeah, absolutely. So I went there before Edinburgh I think we talked about that but that that was kind of a low light kind of a low light since then um you ever been to Braintree I have in the heart of Essex yeah now the thing about Braintree is it's leafy it is leafy except okay I guess there's two brain trees because there's like a brain tree and a brain tree free port 
Yes. And I went to the Freeport part. So I don't know what the other brain trees like. There's brain tree and then there's brain damage tree, basically. This place is, I don't want to criticize it too much because it's leafy, right? It's mm. really pretty. And the leaves were changing. So it was, it was extra pretty. It's really pretty. And there's nothing around except Essex uh, people. Well, yeah, but you know they're they're nice enough people. They seemed all right. Uh, the it, j- outlet stores. Yes, it's a, a retail park paradise. Well, I wouldn't go that far. You know, that's kind of lending it a sophistication that I wouldn't necessarily say. So you get off the train, and it's all beautiful, leafy, and then there's nothing except these outlet stores. I, I don't know. There's like I guess there's like I don't know maybe like twenty of them. I suppose there are stocks of white stilettos that yeah individual retail outlets up and down the country are unable to shift, so they yeah. all deliver them to deepest Essex. So I got off work and I went in the Marks and Spencer outlet store. Mm. There are other there are others outlet stores. And, and if you're listening from a place that's not. Angerland, uh, you'll know Marks and Spencer's. You got to think of it as kind of like Sears or, you know, kind of place like that. You know, maybe a slightly more upmarket Sears, right? right? Neiman Marcus. Oh, not no Neiman Markets. Marcus is fancy. That's fancy. Right. Whereas Marks and Spencer's, that's where you go for your everyday kind of panties and stuff, right? I mean, I know I do. Yeah, you buy your, your panties you there. You do, you get your smalls It's good, there. solid, mm. panty-type stuff. Mm. Um, so I went in there, and, and this is the outlet store, right? This is in the normal ones, mm. the outlet. I went in there because I needed some new sweatpants. Because me walking around with a hole in my ass is not pleasant for anyone to be looking at. And Sylv has to live with me, so... And the thing about an outlet store is, oh, okay, those are nice. Okay, they're a size two, so that's not going to fit on my big fat ass, right? Or there's a size 32. And let's face it, my ass isn't that huge. And no disrespect for if your ass is that huge, you know, respect. Go to the outlet store, you get some good sweatpants. Work it, baby. So that's outlet stores. Basically, if you are a normal size, you will not be catered if for. If you're an average, you know, if you're just average, yeah. So, and it was kind of dispiriting. And then they were piping, you know, it's kind of the, one of these uh, complexes where they're all stores linked up together, but you're kind of outside. It's not like a mall. It's like a mall, but you're like partly outside, right? A bit like what the Yanks call a strip mall. Kind of like that, yeah. Mm. Uh, and they were blasting like... Music of the 80s. So right. uh, what's that guy? He sang. Uh, uh, oh, God, I can't remember now. I can't even remember. I think I know the guy that you you're talking that song about. That and that he, guy he sang, sang that tune and it was, you know, just so annoying. It's like Paul McCafferty or something like that in, in these living years or something like that. That's a band called Mike and the Mechanics featuring. Oh, God, yeah. The. Charterhouse educated Michael Rutherford. Dookie. Yes. Only your brain from that limited amount of information would be able to work out who that actually was. Because I was sitting here looking at her like I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And you gleaned the correct information Mm. from that sketchy number of details that she just proffered. And it's sung by Paul Carrick. 
Okay, it's yeah. about the death of the parents. Very cheerful. Okay, yeah, they were black. So you know, it's I was there at like a quarter to nine because I'm there to. And thank God they have a coffee shop there. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that's all I needed. But I'm sitting there. The coffee shop doesn't open until nine. Right? That's annoying. I have to be at work at like nine. So I'm waiting for them to open so I'm, I can scoot in and they're blasting this Mike and the Mechanics song at like full volume. I'm the only person in this place. Like, I don't get it. What What is the point of that? If you haven't got coffee, you need Mike and the Mechanics. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. It so, gets you moving. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm out in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's... But, you know, you can't complain. There's a Costa. So I can't complain. Certainly not. And Sylvia, where have you been since the last Dukey radio show, which Dookie. we did just after, goodness, after the Edinburgh Fringe? Dukey, I've been in the dark spaces of my mind. Have you been in a dark that's, place? That's where I've been, Dukey. Fair enough. I, the dark spaces of my mind. I've had a, a travel car that's taken me there quite a bit as well. Really? Yes. Dukey. Isn't it lovely, though? You know what's brought me out of the dark spaces of my mind? Talk to me. The lovely Bryony Redman. Bryony Redman, an absolute breath of fresh air and positivity. We loved her show at Edinburgh Fringe, Theory of Positivity, and she oozes positivity. Dookie, so I was leaving your studio, as you know, just before she was going to come, because I thought, I, I don't want to overwhelm anyone with too many people. In the studio, like she's going to show up and all she really does is need to meet you, right? And your lovely Molly dog. So I decided to leave, but I thought she's due to be here any minute. So I might bump into her and sure enough, I saw her across the road. And I knew it was her because I recognized her from the Edinburgh show. And she just, uh, just from across the busy highway, I just got all kinds of wonderfulness from her. She just exuded a wonderful vibe to her. She's human Prozac. She had a big backpack. She has an enormous rucksack. And for whatever it's worth, during our chat, her rucksack gets opened <gasps> and the contents are revealed. Is it like a really, really, is it like Pandora's box, but the opposite? Yes. Like, it is. So instead of all the horrors flying out, does all the marvelousness fly out? It's many sources of wonderment. And then I came back. So I was coming back about an hour and a half later. And I saw her leaving your studio and crossing the street again. And I thought she she might look at me and think, and think who is this lady? Is she stalking me? And again, she just oozed positivity all over again. Just wonderful, wonderful. Fantastic guest and an absolute talent to be reckoned with. A triple threat. I like the way in her show, uh, because she's playing all the characters, and, and there was a number of them, right? Mm. Uh, she had, for one of the characters, she had to put on lipstick. But then she had to switch characters, which meant she had to take the lipstick off. She did that with great aplomb, I thought. I was impressed by that. I think it's a. She definitely has called upon past experiences where she's had to get ready on the fly. It was. It was good. It was really good. It was. Uh, yeah. It was impressive. I like that. She. She's a talented person. I think we really enjoyed her show. And talking of talent. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay. Dookie. Wow. He has a new program, a new series called Gordon Ramsay on Cocaine. I couldn't stomach it. 
That's why I left you two to it because I just thought I can't. Life's too short. It's inadvertently funny. Yeah, you're missing out. It's inadvertently funny. The guy who was taking his kids to school mm. and he gets pulled over. Mm. So, like, you're not just getting pulled over because you're driving kind of like a dick. Mm. But you've also got your kids in the car. Yes. And then, so you don't just have a cop saying, you know, can I see your license and registration? You've also got full-on fucking camera crew and Gordon Ramsay sticking his big Botox face in your window. Yes, he's looking very smooth. Fuck me, you look like Gordon Ramsay. Are you? Yeah. Shut up. What's made you get involved in this initiative, then? Um, cocaine. Yeah? What, are you recovering? No. No. What, you're trying to get some? <laughs> no, man, no. Sorry to meet you, circumstances like this, yeah, bro. Like I actually this. quite admire you and the things you do. Soon to be arrested father who was under the influence of cocaine, driving a car with only a provisional license and a ban. The guy's a dick, right? You're driving like that with your kids. Like, okay, how big of a dick are you? So just compartmentalizing that for a minute, you know, you got to stick that aside in your head. You got to go, this is pretty funny, actually. This guy's got Gordon Ramsay sticking his big old face in the window. <laughs> in deepest, I mean, not, God. In Bournemouth. In, in Bournemouth. I haven't been there. Is that Bournemouth. Is that far away? It's on the south coast. It's not too far uh, okay. away. So what? 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 Yeah, I mean that's got to be a wake up call. You got a whole camera crew surrounding you, and not just a cop, but you've also got Gordon Ramsay doing his fucking fucking type stuff. Yes, fucking fucking. Is that where you swear a great deal for no particular reason? <laughs> yeah, you know. And I just think if you're gonna do a documentary, right? Mm. You. I'm thinking that you might want to have a decent vocabulary, right? Yes. Kind of like our Sylv does. Correct. Right? Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, You know, because just like looking at a coca plant or whatever it is and going, wow. You know, that's not providing the layperson like me with a lot of insights. Wow. Because I could look at that and go, yeah, wow. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I was so fascinated by his use of the word wow that I took the first episode of Gordon Ramsay on cocaine. Yeah. And I have spliced together each and every time he has said wow. There's no jiggery, pokery, strange goings on in terms of editing here. This is legitimately from beginning to end of the episode each and every time that the chef the star of Hell's Kitchen and many a kitchen nightmare has uttered wow. One of them happened four times in a row just after he decided to sample some cocaine water. Wow. 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 Fuck me. Wow. 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 Okay, that must have... That- that sounds like a long time. So was watching the fucking show. Yeah, it's, uh... Do you like the way he keeps talking about stuff? Like it's a, like he's talking about, like he's giving you a recipe? So now they take the cocoa leaf and then they mix it with some cement and then they scald it lightly with some a caramelization of cocaine powder. Fuck me, it looks like he's tempering sugar. Yeah, like... The, like... Wow, dousing the, the raw materials... With cement. It's a bit like putting sugar on top of a souffle. Fuck me. Wow. I guess he just can't see anything outside of cooking. 
and and, and using the the words fuck and wow. <laughs> it's just fucking wow and cooking. That's his whole life. And Botox and whatever. So, well, he looks like, anyway. I mean, it looks kind of like a mattress. He looks like a schmoothie. Yeah, so it was interesting. It was an interesting documentary for all the wrong reasons. I know that he, in the back of his mind, is doing it for the right reasons. I know he has a brother who is still battling addiction. And that Gordon, in his own way, has his heart in the right place. But sadly, he has wow in every place. And incidentally, one thing I noticed about the documentary is in the first... 10 minutes of it or so he gets bleeped out every time he drops an f-bomb yeah yeah but at some stage the person who was in charge of putting the bleeps in must have just had enough they gave up and it it just becomes a a fuck fest for the 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 next 45 minutes yeah either that or the bleeper died or he quit you know they quit did they quit? Did the bleeper go, you know what? I'm not getting paid enough for all of it. You know, I didn't sign up for all of this. Yeah, normally for a one-hour program, I'm done in two hours. Yeah. Plus, all this talk about cocaine has made me want to do a line or three. Yeah, did they just flounce out? Hmm. That's where they did some flouncing. Because the F-bombs come swift and fast from about 15 minutes in onwards. It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the series pans out. Yeah, Dookie, you and I are all over that like a rash. You know it. And the one thing I'm mindful of is we've got a little bit dark talking about cocaine. There's one way that we can get back to feeling good again, to feeling happy. And that is by hearing some Bryony. Bring on the Bryony. My name is Bryony Redman and my favourite word is inconceivable. Inconceivable? Yes. Is this a word that you use regularly? Do you just like the sounds of it? What's the background to that being your favourite word? Well, I like the sound of it. I like the fact that it's something you can't even imagine. It's inconceivable. Because what is inconceivable? Surely you must be able to imagine it. Or you've just been told it and you say, no, I simply can't imagine that. (laughs) It is inconceivable. (laughs) You've literally just conceived it, so it's always a lie. And it's from The Princess Bride, which is one of my all-time favourite films. A much-loved film, Mm. and every day new generations of of kids are are viewing that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I always make you think, you don't... That word doesn't mean what you think it means, so... (laughs) Has anything in your life actually been inconceivable that you've managed to achieve and you thought, damn, anybody who said inconceivable... (laughs) Um, I a think script, anytime, a production, a show. I think anytime something nicer said, you like maybe this is just women in comedy. You go, oh no, that can't be true. <laughs> so anything nice that happens, you're like, whoa, I never expected that. <laughs> what a treat! So yeah, anything nice is good. It's, I mean, one thing is, I suppose, having more than you know, sort of one woman on a panel show. It's <laughs> inconceivable. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have two. No, no. Let's just make sure we have our one. Indeed. And and she will probably need to be dressed up like a doll and fit into a certain remix. <laughs> Is the tide turning with all of that? I had a chat with Pippa Evans 
uh, almost exactly a year ago about mm. women in comedy, women on panel shows. But I think the tide is turning in that it is more expected. When the BBC said there needs to be at least one woman, I thought that's a great thing. Mm. Like a lot of people kind of backlashed against that going, no, it's like positive discrimination. But it's like, no, it's affirmative action. It's yeah. the only way something will change is if we actually say, well, actually you have to do it. And then you'll realise how many talented women there are out there and you won't go, oh, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> so yeah, I think it is... I think like the discussion is less. I find like people don't doubt that women in comedy is a thing anymore because there's so many of us. <laughs> One small step for womankind. <laughs> and what is the goal for people doing Edinburgh shows these days? I mean, I suppose at one time, you know, going back I decades shall, and decades. I speak for all of them. <laughs> yes, everyone, yes. Every one of them. Right, yeah. It's an easy question. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose at one time it was, you know, let's get the television um, vehicle, let's get a, a film contract, yeah. let's suddenly get booked and do you know, national tours. I mean, obviously everyone's going to have goals, but for aspiring performers, what, what do you think is the main draw these days? Well, the Edinburgh Festival is unfortunately now a big sinkhole of money that you just throw money at to go do it. But for me, the draw has been, I have a particular style of comedy that's quite storytelling mm. and stupid. And I don't like gigging. <laughs> I really don't. I hate going to comedy clubs. I try and avoid it. I go to sketch nights and I do a lot of improv because mm. they're fun places to be. And actually like stand-up nights are usually horrible places to be. So I just don't do it. So I like to write a whole hour show, take it up and have a room full of people that have come to see that the stuff that I write and then have a lovely time so for me Edinburgh Festival goal was to make a room full of people laugh because that happened last year and I really enjoyed it I went mm. you know what that's what I want to do that's a beautiful way to spend four weeks yeah if you do go up there with just tons of uh, agendas where you yeah, know you it, end up if... being sad <laughs> I think indeed I think like you can you just gotta be realistic I think each time you go up more people that have seen you will come again mm. and that's what you should really go for if you enjoy performing I always like that feeling when people leave a show and they feel the same way I do when I leave a Muppet movie that little bit happier and that's what I aim to make the audience feel and if I can do that on a daily basis that's enough for mm. me of course you have other aims in it you'll invite people like production companies you some people try and get press in and there's the hope of getting other things but none of those are guaranteed so if you don't like the base level of doing a show and making people laugh don't do it art for art's sake yeah I had the pleasure of seeing your Edinburgh Fringe show entitled Theory of Positivity and it was an undoubted highlight of the week that the Dukey Radio Show spent at the Fringe. Positivity, positivity, do, 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 do. That whole production, how long did it take you to, to do that? I mean, it's quite um, a detailed, dense journey. Yeah. You cover a lot of ground. And I've got to say, for the one hour that I was there, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, she was <laughs> very prompt. It. I was amazed. <laughs> it's really good. Um, often, a lot of shows that I see have a really strong 40 minutes. And it feels like a bit of improv and riffing gets added on. Yours felt <laughs> as though you 
probably had to do a lot of pruning and editing to get it to work. And it's every character it was that you did. one hour 13 before Edinburgh, the week before, and I went, uh-oh, <laughs> something's got to go. Oh, so that's, that was accurate. Yeah, it was pruned down. Like, there's certain sections, like you say, it's 59 minutes, 59 seconds. I'm going, oh, so that's a day when people laughed. <laughs> like, there were some days when it finished really early. <laughs> and I was like, no, people were not on board on that day, but I still give it some energy. <laughs> the improv sections get shorter, though. <laughs> Um, so yeah, because I've got an improv background, there's certain bits I put in to keep me entertained that won't mm. be the same every day. But most of it, because writer as well, I overwrite. So I write loads and loads of material. Mm. Think of ways to shove it all together and then go, oh, oops. Either I always think, oh, I've only written half an hour and then I get it up on stage. <laughs> and as I say, my, my director went, that's an hour and 13 you start next week <laughs> so yeah we had to do some editing in the pub after my final preview in addition to theory of positivity your main edinburgh show i also saw you by accident and very happily at uh, <laughs> this is your trial yeah and it was a really weird night we'll talk about that in a moment stop the presses it's your semi-friendly factoid checker here for those not in the know this is your trial is the UK's only courtroom based improvised comedy. Were you doing this is your trial regularly? Was that Yeah, a- so I did um 13 shows of this is your trial during the month and 13 with the free association right. jacuzzi show at the evening jacuzzi now with two eyes because it's a copyrighted word we found that out yeah really we it is inconceivable <laughs> that you use this word it, it is our product how dare you so yeah definitely not spelt in the same way as the bubbly spa uh jacuzzi with two eyes <laughs> <laughs> dearie me yeah what was the anatomy of a typical Edinburgh day for you? Oh, so I'd get up, I have a coffee, very important. Right. And then I'd fly her for about an hour and a half to two hours for my own show. Right. Because uh, it works. I have one other flyer, the lovely Alex Conway, who did most of the. So lovely, He's really such engaging. Good guy. Honestly, yeah. gold dust. Yeah. And yeah. we see a lot of flyers. So, <laughs> you know, there's a point where I don't want to use the word. Um, Offish, but you know, where you're trying to get from point A to point B, <laughs> yeah. and it's like that scene from the film Airplane, where you, you're elbowing people. You know, it is it is really really tricky. And, um, mm. and Alex was great. Yeah, and... so he's awesome. He's seen the show in its first day, so he knows what it's about. Mm. And he's just a really lovely guy who actually just talks to people, which I think is again how you have to fly her. So yeah. I try and fly her like he would, so he'd be proud. And we fly her <laughs> before the show. I stop half an hour before to mm. inflate a shark. And yes. prepare props <laughs> and then um, do the show, uh, put everything away, then usually take a break. That's the first time I'll properly eat in the day. And then, uh, yeah. So usually... no breakfasts for you at Edinburgh, apart, well, apart from yeah, coffee? For coffee, maybe a bun. But there's, some, like, there's something about the adrenaline of doing a show that often I find it hard to eat before shows mm. if you're too full and then I'm starving straight afterwards so I always go for massive food straight after <laughs> show and then I was either doing um this is your trial or free association jacuzzi in the evening so improv with a team which was nice because if the show didn't go great and you're by yourself and then you get to play with others you're like yay redemption time <laughs> it's so much more fun when there's a team especially the jacuzzi guys because they're my like really good friends i work with them all the time in london so it's like having them on stage it's like family family together again 
talking of going you know working solo and also working in a group yeah. a couple of years back you were performing under the name surname, surname and, and surname. surname we are still with, a double act oh right yeah uh with paul foxcroft. foxcroft yes indeed and it surprised me to hear that you're still working with him i assumed mm. that that was a period that you know you, that you did that and then that maybe you went solo because you needed to do it on your own <laughs> uh it was more um paul was busy <laughs> so i was like oh i really missed the festival and paul was really busy with some other stuff at the time so i went i'll just go by myself so i did and like you know there's twixes in my show mm. that i throw twixes at. that's from surname and surname and i chose twixes as my chocolate because it makes me think paul's with me, with me every day Aww. so it's like having him there on stage even though he's not there so we're talking about whether we'll do a show next year or not um he runs an improv company himself so he's a very busy man mm. <laughs> and he also wants to do some solo stuff but he generally couldn't come up to fringe and i loved it too much so that's why i did solo Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I just wondered whether or not, you know, you, you know, there were creative differences and whatnot. No, and it's, it's a lovely, fluffy story yeah. involving Twix. Yeah, we regularly still improvise together. I do his show called Questing Times, which is improvised Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, excellent. That's yeah. definitely going to have a niche market. It does. And the Twix idea is fantastic because audience participation particularly in the afternoon when your mm. show was, is tricky. You know, you don't know how, how many cuts of whatever people have yeah. had or indeed Dutch courage. And, and, <laughs> and there's a, an inherent shyness that audiences are going to have. Yeah. And, and also, I suppose, there's a little bit of a fear of people that want to be picked on. The one thing I noticed about this last Edinburgh Fringe is that performers seem to be a lot more aware about the fears that audience members might have. And mm. I remember seeing um, Ed Hedges and he described himself as a beta male who, when he was summoning info from audience members, made it a point of saying, you know, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm a, I'm a beta male. I'm just going to ask you a question. This isn't going to yeah. involve any sort of character assassination. And he was incredibly careful and considerate Yet the audience members who were going to many of the performances were fearing that very thing, that yeah. character assassination would, would happen. And I went to a performance at that particular fringe where that happened to me. And the one thing that I remember about entering your world and entering the actual uh, performance venue that you were in yeah. was from the word go, you were very inclusive and friendly. I think you even said something along the lines of, Nobody's sitting in the front row. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'll be fine. I'm not going to pick on you. Yeah. Um, is this something that you were, were conscious about? And ha have you had scared audience members in the past? People yeah. who were fearful about being picked on? Yeah, I've always been very wary of it because I was a nervous person. I used to hate the idea of having to speak in public. I was very shy before getting into comedy. Uh, so it's been a fear of mine. So I kind of recognise that in an audience and I wouldn't want anyone to feel that way in my shows. Mm. So I chat to people as they come in, partly because it's weird to stand behind a curtain as they come in yeah. and just hear them to kind of make people feel at ease and to let them know I'm, that's not going to happen because it's such a part of comedy now. And also I chat to the front row because I do need to pick on one person in my show. So mm. I just ask them who likes audience interaction. My show from the previous year was all about that. Um, my show called The Secret Show. Mm. I actually initially did it in secret. 
and did it to kind of show that you can go from being shy to loving performing and so I got audience members to wear stickers either red yellow or green right so they could choose how much whether they loved audience participation or not so green meant they really loved it red meant don't even talk to me and yellow meant I'm okay with it as long as I can stay here <laughs> what was the ratio of most people of were yellow and there were some greens and some reds right what a transparent and wonderful way to engage with the audience so and that my opening joke was always that as red green color blind <laughs> so oh. that did cause some panic but it was always a, it was a joke and i never picked on anyone who wasn't green uh, except for in days when i had no greens and then i did pick on a couple of yellows but on those days i'd already chatted to them during the show oh, fair so enough. you kind of get used yeah to it. and by that stage they would know that you know this wasn't going to become yeah. some sort of a character assassination yeah. exercise and also did you have Twix available. Yes, Twix. So people yeah, answered questions the... right. The first show it wasn't Twixes, but they did get like they were the hero in the story when mm. they did come up. So I think I, I just I just prefer that kind of warmer side to comedy. And I think with audience interaction people do get nervous. But by the end of the show, in the first year, there's a bit when all of the audience do dance moves at the end mm. in their seats. And my that was the thing I loved most about that show was that the people with red stickers did the dance moves at the end. Oh. And I was like, that's great because by the time the hour is up, they felt safe and they knew it wasn't going to be, they just did it with everyone else. And that was just like the best feeling. A safe space and, mm. and people opening up. That's, that's actually genuinely is really beautiful. And when you said you did the show in secret, how secret is oh. secretive? So my very first solo show, in case it was a disaster, I didn't put my name on it and I did it in Camden Fringe. Right. So that if it was, well, all of my friends in comedy were in Edinburgh. So it's like, if it was awful, I'll just pretend I've never done it. <laughs> and that's the first attempt. I did invite some friends that I really trusted. I was like, come along and just tell me if this is a bad idea. And then this, then I did it in Edinburgh. So that's why. And do you think you'll ever be cast as a zombie again? Oh, hopefully. It's a lot of fun being a zombie. I love the weird contact lenses and lots of fun makeup. So yes, please. What's the longest period you've had to sit and make up for? Uh, there would be for a zombie. I think for the, um, it was the National, was it Television Awards? Where we had to represent The Walking Dead. So we were in makeup for quite a while until we came out onto the red carpet and scared people and then was ushered back and then had to, sarcastically clap as a zombie when someone else won <laughs> so your brains were reasonably intact and <laughs> yeah. able to do yeah, yeah. zombie clapping <laughs> that's that's what quite a gig your father must have been very proud of that <laughs> yeah he's not missing me being a lawyer at all twix a break from the norm so the, the Twixes were just a really friendly, positive yeah. reinforcement for, for participating. And and let's face it, Twixes are, are what a tremendous. Yummy. Yeah, yeah, really nice. And though dangerous to throw is what I found out. <laughs> there, there is that. <laughs> yeah. You put out my eye! Oh! I, I did hit two people, neither of whom have sued me as of yet. Right. And I did get one on top of a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> so they're quite tricksy. But they are yummy. Trixie Twixies. Trixie Twixies. And uh, how, I mean, would you buy them all in bulk before? Yeah. Right. Well, no, I bought them in bulk. Uh, apparently there was a shortage in Edinburgh of Trixes. I wonder why. <laughs> I thought it maybe it's you. me. 
<laughs> so yeah, I'd buy them, you know, in a, in a multi-pack. Right. So that at least some money saving went into that. <laughs> but it wasn't a well thought out plan, really. Oh, just, I, I just imagine poor little Hamish going up to his parents crying, saying that there's no Twix at his local corner shop. <laughs> my and it's fault, all due Hamish, to you. Yeah. And then also the, the you know the Twix company thinking, my goodness, in Scotland we seem to be going down <laughs> yeah. a real treat. Come September, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it seems seasonal. Uh, were people <laughs> frying the Twix um, sweets in batter, perhaps? Yeah, Who uh, knows? It's just correct answers. One new Twixes. <laughs> and how long did it take you to create the amazing world that you did with theory of positivity well this is the naughty thing so like my first solo show was the year before and that i had started a whole year previously in camden fringe and Mm. took ages but spread out then this year i was really busy so i wrote my blurb without having started writing the show so then i had to write a show that matched the blurb so I didn't have a show in March and I couldn't write it till June. So I was like, oh, well, I got so all of the posters and publicity was written before any of the script, which was a weird way around to do a show. So it's not so much art imitates life <laughs> as art imitates title. Yeah. Yeah, I knew I wanted it to be happy because 2016 had been so depressing. Mm. I'm still waiting for 2016 to end. Yeah. For whatever it's worth, it feels like it's carried on. And I knew the title would fit pretty much anything I wrote because Mm. I'm quite a happy person. So I thought that's a title that'll work for me. I'll work out what it is later. And then wrote a really specific blurb by ideas that I thought would be funny. And then was glad that I could then write some of them. So March is your deadline for submitting the the title. Application, yeah. Right. And when mm. did you set pen to paper? And apparently you always walk around with a pen and paper. Is it yeah, true? Yeah. May I see your pen and paper? Pen or indeed, like. a pencil is accepted. Yeah. Uh, Bryony is now opening her Bryony, rucksack, so taking many different items out, including a fetching scarf. It is that time of the year. And yeah. if you have your webcam facility, <laughs> do switch it on now. Yeah. There's a book on the go. Book on the go. Joe Nesbo. And yes, a pad has been presented. Yeah. It, it appears it's sufficiently dog eared. Yeah. And, you know, it it's looks got as though. several pens on the front. Right. I have loads of notebooks. I have two crates of notebook in right. my, <laughs> my home, like two plastic crates, all with ideas jotted down. When I'll ever get to look through them, all well, I don't know. <laughs> but I do have. Because you never know when ideas. I like a pen and paper. I don't really like jotting ideas into a phone. No, I, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. And there's something tangible about yeah. you know the sensation of you know lead or ink on paper it's it nice. feels like you really mean business yeah and and also it's there you don't have to worry about whether or not the vessel is charged you know yeah. provided that you have a, a pen to work with or a pencil and you can always borrow one and it's, it's immediate i do use the note facility on my phone uh, quite a bit to be said but uh i do i'm a bit like yourself i do carry mm. around a small pad I often forget it, though, and I end up sort of transferring from old <laughs> format to new format. That doesn't matter. But um, when did the actual writing take place? So you had the title in March. A title in March, and I'd done, like, five minutes. So, as I said, there's very few sketch nights, very few nights that I enjoy performing at, like Cabarera I Love, mm. which is run by friends of mine that do uh, themed by decade nights. 
Oh, good idea. Yeah. So part of my show from the previous year come out of the fact I'd written a 1940s themed set there that was 15 minutes long. And I was like, great, I'm going to use that. So I got to play a lady detective from like a film noir type thing. Nice. <laughs> it was great fun. Um, what voice did you use for that? Okay. Oh, like, it just a clipped. Oh, you've seen my show. Mm. You know my accents are not yeah. that great. Like my impression of Michael Caine is on the worst things you've ever heard. Uh, now that you've said it, you need to do it. No, it's like it's not even an impression. <laughs> I do impress like because there's a bit in the show this year when I had to be like Johnny Lee Miller, Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Caine all in a row, none of whom I can do an impression of. So it's like I say like no one remembers it. That's it. That's all. Michael Caine is in the room. Robert Downey Jr. is a strange one. He's got quite a, a flat american accent it's like broadcast american yeah i just did, do you just do a box standard yeah to be fair it, it's almost the same just a slightly lower register than my katie holmes impression it was just <laughs> vaguely american except for at the end of sentences <laughs> sorry to disturb you it's your friendly factoid checker here again it should be noted that Bryony's fantastic impression of katie holmes featured in her show Theory of positivity. Yeah, the, the Katie Holmes impression was inspired. It, it made me, <laughs> it made it more endearing to me. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller, in a way, is a similar thing. It's just kind of southeastern home counties. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's, it's a mo- often I think like when I'm doing those people in the show is I'm not doing an accurate impression of them. I'm doing like a cartoon weird version of them. Mm. So it's not ever meant to be accurate anyway. It doesn't need to be. And also when you have a a plot as detailed and as exciting and fast moving as that featured in Theory of Positivity, who cares about accents? (laughs) Really? Suspended disbelief. Katie Holmes was in the room. Yes, she was. So you were able to take snippets from existing and then tie them together. Yeah. So in improv, we teach a format called a Harold, Mm. which is an improv format that is a pattern of three. So I use that format for my show both this year and last year where I write three separate stories, but I just make it narrative Mm. and then find ways to weave them together. So I didn't actually start with the idea of how they were going to weave together. And in fact, the conclusion came like my third preview. (laughs) Like I still hadn't sorted it out. That, so the first two the days, <laughs> like, and I suddenly thought, I really must make her solve a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so in the third preview is the first time Katie Holmes, detective Katie mm. Holmes, ever solved a mystery. It's quite a mystery that gets solved. <laughs> it's all done retrospectively. <laughs> this is where I feel bad, but yeah, this is it's all done retrospectively. <laughs> I mean, uh, afterwards. I was chatting with uh, the person I went with and uh, and the first thing we said to each other was, where did all of that come from? And how the hell can you tie all of that together? That was brilliant. And yet now, <laughs> yeah. now you have, uh, it was a bit of a last minute thing. <sighs> yeah, but because I've loved, I've, I'm a writer by trade. Writing's what I've done my whole life. I absolutely love it. So generating material, there'll always be lots. And mm. then it is just editing back because improviser, there's nothing fearing and having a blank page. You can always come up with stuff, but it's then going, the tying it together thing is just fun. It's like a fun logic puzzle. So I guess normally doing story, if you inv- do all those fun characters, you know you're going to spot away eventually because in improv, you might have to make connections on the fly. So actually having uh, time to do it is mm. a treat. True. <laughs> I think you are really blessed to have the the duality 
of being a writer and an improv guru. Yeah. I know that improv is, is writing on the fly, but you're you're writing on the fly. Whereas mm. also as a writer, you know, you're you're stuck in the corner somewhere, you know, adopting this pose, yeah, that pose ruminating that exactly. yes. about you know where this plot pose. is going to go. <laughs> and you have time to think this through and then you're yeah. perhaps writing for film, as you did recently yeah. ish with Forget Me Not. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mm. When you run your improv groups do a, a decent proportion of the participants actually write yeah. outside of that world? Well, I'd say the students we get at the Free Association are good, like a real mix. So we get a lot of producers, actors, writers. So a lot of creative types come and learn because it's useful. It's useful for acting because you mm. react more rather than <laughs> act, which is what acting's all about, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I believe so. <laughs> it is inconceivable my... <laughs> to do anything else. <laughs> You've heard my accent, so I'm so clearly trained. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then writers, it's really useful because you can just bounce around ideas and you get less precious mm. about changing stuff. So yeah. I think that, is good skill and producers it's a great way of thinking around ideas so they love it too but we also get just people who want to feel more comfortable in presenting at work or day-to-day life confidence building yeah so improv helps so we get people who've never performed at all Mm. alongside comics who regularly perform all in the same class that diversity must make the the work that you do teaching improv at free association quite rewarding That's it's because it's you know people are coming from different different disciplines yeah. and they're all going to bring something different to the party yeah and, and I like the shy ones because that's how I got into improv. At uni, I refused to have a line in a Shakespeare workshop because I refused to speak. And someone went go to an improv workshop. It'll loosen you up. Right. And I was cuz I had such the worst stage fright as like no way. No way am I doing that. And then yeah, I did improv and unfortunately, it did did change my life in that I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> so... I was going to ask about this. <laughs> yeah. um, when I went to... Were you studying law? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I feel a great sense of achievement. The reason being, <gasps> when, when I went to see... This is your trial. Oh. With um, the right honourable Judge Law. Um, oh, yes. Tony Law one, yeah. <laughs> Tony Law participating. I love him, and we'll talk about him later. You were the only person playing it straight, and the way that you were putting the respective cases forward, I just thought she must have a legal background. Yeah. It's a really, so does the guy who produces it. And I did one show with Clive Anderson, who obviously was a trained lawyer. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it does help, sort of. In that, but it does make it like I really want it to be fair. <laughs> There's part of my brain that forgets about comedy and goes, "No, if this person should be found guilty or shouldn't be found guilty, I'm going to fight less hard or harder, depending." Uh, so yeah, the, that particular day or that particular evening, I mean, Tony Law was he recruited in at the last minute for that, or he does he just pretend to be? And I think that's Tony. That is just Tony. We once wrote my writing partner and I a sitcom character that was inspired by Tony Law because he makes us laugh so oh, I, much. He was on fire that particular yeah. evening, and I don't know whether or not the irreverence was something he, he cultivated, but he was just trying to come up with every courtroom drama <laughs> cliche. 
and order in the court and that you'll be held in contempt of court. He just he basically had a, a phrase book and he wanted to use <laughs> yeah. each and every you know, kind of well-used um, kind of legal phrase and was also very proud to announce that his surname made him extra, yeah. well, extra able, extra qualified, if yeah, you will, definitely. to you know, preside. Yeah. And, and for reasons I don't know, in that particular performance, he then started to do an impression of a North American pilot. It's like, all right, coming in for takeoff. Uh, we're cruising at 30,000 feet. And you, the defense attorney, um, I've forgotten her first name. Surname Scott. Oh, is it Ali? Yes. Ali Scott. Yeah. Yes. So she. Oh, <gasps> super, super talented. She is all about the, the accents and the characters and yeah, proceeded yeah. to do this more New York than New York defense attorney. And you played it straight. And. And I honestly, I, I I said to my partner in crime at uh, Edinburgh Fringe, she this is more than just a performance. There's some legal legal <laughs> yeah. training here. I'm really really pleased about this. Yeah, you were right. <laughs> Trained barrister. Uh, now that particular evening, the the first court case. I don't expect you to remember every oh, evening. Oh God, no. no. <laughs> But, I remember Ali being there because that's, right. that's a treat because we both perform together regularly oh, at the right. FA. Uh, so it's so nice to have like a, f- a fellow improviser that you're used to there. Mm. It's really, really nice. It was re- She was fab, you were fab. Um, Judd's law was yeah. tremendous, particularly as a pilot. And um, for no reason, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And the first case, there was a, a man of certain vintage who'd said some not so PC terms about women and referred to the the defence and prosecuting attorneys as uh, being a, akin to being prostitutes. Oh, yeah, and that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was really, really out of order. And you, you taught him a new one in a very, <laughs> very polite, in very nice legal yeah. manner. And... I just thought it must be really, really tricky where you're there to do your job. You're there to entertain mm. and to create the framework of, of, a, of a courtroom drama. Yeah. What happens when you have a person who's genuinely being quite an offensive weapon up there? Uh, the good thing about that show is you are, again, not alone. Like mm. Tony Law wasn't having any of it, even mm. in his own mad way, was backing us up. And True. Ali, defending him, decided not to really. <laughs> so I remember. Not so sure about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. So, like, there was no way. So, yeah, you don't feel alone. I think, um, yeah, I think if someone's behaving, unfortunately in that show, sometimes you do get people who are very drunk yes. or can be quite offensive, mm. but they can be mocked in a gentle and fun way that lets you know that the comedians do not agree <laughs> with your views. <laughs> so you can have a laugh and still still make it fun, but mm. still not allow those views to stand as the stage's opinion. Yeah, or the show's opinion. University days, mm. you're studying law. Well, actually, I studied philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. And then I did a law conversion course. Right. So, yeah. oh, so it was, it was a, you'd had enough of Spinoza. <laughs> enough of, oh, let's, let's think about that. What should we do? Doesn't matter. <laughs> let's just think about it. And um, and where were you? Where were you matriculating in philosophy? Where what uh, uni Edinburgh were you at? University. Oh right. So when you go to do the fringe, it's a, a little bit of it's a home. home. It's yeah. homecoming. It is also because my mum's Scottish right. from Perth, which is just about an hour from Edinburgh. Mm. So we used to go up every summer to the Edinburgh Festival. I mean, sorry, to visit family 
and then we'd sneak (laughs) through the Edinburgh Festival. And so I went to Edinburgh Uni because of the festival. And my first day, I said to my flatmate, where's the university? Because I didn't know I'd chosen it because of the fringe. My word, so... But that's pre-yourself becoming a performer. Yeah, I loved watching it. Right. Because I still loved writing right. from a very young age. So I was like, I really loved going to watch theatre and watch comedy. I didn't see myself as someone who was going to perform it. I just So that's why I went to the Theatre Society, as I, I wrote plays at Edinburgh University, mm. and I did do improverts in the end. Uh, yeah. And that changed your life. Yeah. University changed your life but not necessarily due to the degree that you were doing. (laughs) Sounds like most people's experiences (laughs) at university. But amazing, incredibly well-equipped for doing... uh, This is your trial, though. Yeah. And and well done. Well done. It's it's all a long route to that show. (laughs) (laughs) By this stage, I seem to remember this is your trial being around the 6pm mark-ish. Yeah, 7, I think it is. Yeah, around Uh, early early evening. Early evening. So you were just saying earlier, just prior to that, you had a a big meal, perhaps the odd Twix. Yeah. And I try and watch shows too. Mm. I had a list of 63 shows that I wanted to see and I saw about 25, so I didn't do great on that. But yeah, I try and watch usually around that 4pm mark. I try and go see something. Right. Then this is your trial or not, depending on whether I was doing it. Mm. And then 11pm is when the Free Association Jacuzzi show was. And... Was that for the whole run of the Fringe that you were doing that? No, I did about 13 shows with them as well because we're right. a massive team. So we alternate who, but it means you get to see different people on the different nights oh, and word. hang out and do really stupid sketches and a different guest comedian every night. So you get to meet them. Ah, oh, it's a blast. Some people are culture vultures. You are a performance vulture <laughs> on quite a number of, of evenings during your one month run at uh, Fringe. You're performing three times yeah. a day stroke night. Yeah. But that's not... Okay, compared to some friends of mine, I don't think that's that much. <laughs> like, some of them are crazy busy. I know some people have, like, so many shows a day. I try not to book in too much mm. because doing a solo show... This sounds so lame. It's an hour. Out with it. We like lame. <laughs> so it makes you really tired, but it's pathetic. People work much longer days. <laughs> oh, after an hour of performing, I'm so tired. But you are. But it's still pathetic. <laughs> and did you... So when you left the university, did you finish your degree? Mm-hmm. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, well, yeah. well, well done. Well, thank you. Because with all that you had on your plate, it, it may have been inconceivable <laughs> yeah. for you to carry on your studies. Um, and did your path post-uni days ever take you into the legal profession? Well, no, I'd say post-uni I did a law conversion course. Right. Oh, so to... you did that after... Yeah. So you had a degree in philosophy first? Yeah, then a degree in law. So oh, I I'm... thought you no. transferred mid, no. mid-undergraduate degree. I did the degree. whole graduation, did a whole philosophy degree, did a postgraduate in law, took a year out, did a puppet show, went back to the bar <laughs> course... <laughs> trained as a barrister right and at which point i'd become because i'd stopped performing for a couple of years become nervous public speaking again and went i'll go back and i'll do some comedy so i can do barrister stuff right and went you know what i love the comedy and i'm hating law school i think it's time to choose the other life it just dawned on me (laughs) at theory of positivity i saw uh Philosophy degree holding trained barrister <laughs> dressed up as, as a, Godzilla. Yes. It's a good life. It's a good life. It's a good life. And how are your 
parents with this oh, change in career? <laughs> no, actually, they've they've been amazing. Given that you know, once you've funded a child through law school, you perhaps hope they're going to be a lawyer. Indeed. Well, uh, this is your trial. They must have been incredibly. <laughs> they came every time. It's the closest they've ever seen to me being a lawyer. And my dad loves it. He books every time I do the show. And he gets really happy, takes loads of photos. And I feel quite sorry for him. But yeah, so they they want me to be happy because they're awesome parents. Mm. My mum was an art student in the 60s. So she's happy whatever I'm doing. Oh, yeah. Peace, love and understanding. It's a good way to be. Pretty cool mum. Yeah. Yeah. And is your, your father just a bit more serious? Does he kind of care about the he, you know the career and the prospects? And he does occasionally ask, "What is my five year plan?" <laughs> Which point I go, "Oh, I don't know. I've got a month plan. <laughs> Maybe that's it." Uh, I mean, so yeah. One thing, one artistic entity that appears to be a work in progress and mm. an exciting one is Miss Universe. Yes, you have read my website. Indeed. <laughs> Before we talk about it, though. I'm, I've found an arc in your career ah. that maybe you haven't thought about, Ooh. which leads us to Miss Universe in a way. Mm. And it, it might seem slightly offensive when I say this. So I apologise okay. in advance. <laughs> in a way, it seems as though your creative career has started in the toilet. <laughs> Do you know where I may be going with this? This all seems a little bit, this is your life. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I've been tied up in a bath. <laughs> yes, this relates to that <laughs> okay. partially. It seems as though... The, oh, the plus two... you're talking about the the yes. online video. <laughs> yes, there are two, two creative endeavours which appear to have been quite pivotal in where you are today. Number one, your brilliant performance in the bath store just oh a wee God. viral video oh gary that's disgusting what lock the door no it, it's just a wee why are you sitting down then go on youtube no, bath don't, store don't, just don't a wee oh, and no. i mean incidentally you know normally when you say viral video you think oh yeah whatever it's what 750,000 views it, it's, uh, that's, I would say that is down to Hoot, the, 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 the company that made that video. They work in ads. They know how to make stuff and make it good. Um, so, yeah, I was, I guess, lucky to be cast in that video. You have a pivotal role in the plot of that, incidentally. Yes. So there's that, which then introduces you and your face and your talents to you know uh, three quarters of a million people. <laughs> Then you're the first person who's ever noticed it. <laughs> I life. care. <laughs> yeah, I care. Briny plus toilet. It yeah. brings up all sorts of things on Google. And the delightful Toby Wilson. Please also blame him for that. <laughs> He's on the toilet. Fantastic. In case you thought he was only known for sad faces, <laughs> check him out for that. He has a sad face on the toilet. To yeah. be fair. So he's employing that. And in the short film Open House, you mm. feature. In the bath, all tied up. Yes. And extolling the virtues of a very spacious yeah. bathroom suite. That's why we tied up. And he's put me in this really nice, airy bathroom. Yes. And it was there that you met Kate, Kate Harron. Mm -hmm. And you and Kate Harron are working on Miss Universe. Yes. So it's from the white tiles <laughs> yeah. to the big silver screen. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I must admit that's is the first time I met Kate, and I think that's how we knew we'd get on because we both were quite geeky and mm. loved comedy and loved like Simpsons and Douglas Adams and lots of the similar stuff and Buffy, and so we bonded over that. But also the fact that the first time I spoke to her on the phone. The first thing she said to me is, look, um, we're going to need to tie you up and put you in a bath. Is that OK? <laughs> and the fact that weirdly I trusted her with that. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, most male directors, I probably would have just said no. But she had that voice mm. and that trust. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Kate, you can tie me up and put me in a bath. How long did it take to do Open House? A great film, incidentally. There will be a link to it on this very podcast. How long were you tied up and in the bath for? I was tied up for a couple of hours. Right. Uh, That was on the Sunday evening. The whole film was shot in a weekend. Right. For a competition that was, you had to get your whole script and everything done within 48 hours. So that's why they got improvisers in. So they didn't have to write dialogue, just the storyline. So that's how I got involved with that. But yeah, so it was just a 48-hour project. But Kate Heron is a whiz. She's an amazing director. So she made a good enough film that it could go into festivals and things, which most people can't do out of a 48-hour film. But that woman can. I didn't know about the the time constraint that was put on the production. I just saw it as a short film. And it's a brilliant short film. Uh, It's quirky. There's a dark humour to it. And that's my double act partner, Paul Foxcroft, in it. Oh, He's he's the he's the robber. Yeah, he's so that's Paul. Right. Oh, all roads lead. (laughs) Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant in that. Look, the door was open and I came in and she was downstairs and we just figured out it would be safer. Like this was her idea. Really, he was a really polite robber. Not like those in the other postcodes. Rubber isn't a, a word that we use here in this country that often. I, I would have thought kind of burglar would have burglar. been the choice. Did, did you sort of neutralise the Britishness in it a touch so that you could enter it in American film festivals? Uh, I don't know why it was called robber, because actually, technically, legally, he's not a robber. He is a burglar. Right. Because he didn't use violence or intimidation, and he did enter an abode. So, <laughs> technically, burglary. I didn't even notice that. But I think it was more, it was done really quickly, so it's whatever word would have occurred to us at the time. Fair enough. Robber came out. <laughs> yeah. But we uh, did decide in the bath that I should be uh, the estate agent. We talked about that for a while, because if in order to make Paul's character nice, I had to be kind of a little bit odder. Otherwise, he became horrible and you couldn't root for him. So I think that was the only conversation we did. Softened him in that way. I think just the fact that you're an estate agent gets you part of the way there by default. Yeah. But you you did play that particular character in quite a menacing manner. (laughs) And you really just care about the sale. Yeah. Do you like the home? (laughs) So good. But we had to, otherwise it made Paul look evil. If I was genuinely upset and tied up, he becomes horrible. Whereas if I'm still trying to sell a house... He's an all right guy and I'm a state agent. <laughs> and it's a lovely house, incidentally. Uh, yeah. How did you come across that I particular boat? I think that was one of the writers or the producers. I think it's like they they sorted that house out. So I think it was a relative or family members. So yeah, nice. it was a sale done very cheaply. And yeah. I mean, that's a, a tribute to all of your hard work and, and Heron's direction and the just the overall editing. It looks great. Honestly, you could have told me, you know, months were put into it. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really, it's a, a quirky, wonderful film, as is Forget Me Not, mm. which is a, a tour de force in terms of your involvement. You wrote it, you star in it. Yeah. And... 
it's received accolades all over the world, including a nomination for yourself as Best Actress, <laughs> the Houston you know, Comedy yes. Film Festival. Did you go stateside for any no, of these I award didn't. ceremonies? No, I, I didn't do that. I did go to a couple of the ones in the UK, which is mm. really nice, South, Southampton's and Albans and stuff, um, but didn't go abroad. <laughs> it's just timing and things like that and and cost it's cost, you know it's, yeah. it's, it's a little <laughs> bit expensive to travel to the americas yeah yeah a little bit pricey so didn't do that but i'm really pleased with how it went down obviously i wasn't originally going to be in it my agent at the time went no you have to be so my good friend Richard Zones became the other part. I'd originally written it with two other friends in mind. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because I, as I say, I always think writing first. And then my agent went, no, you're an actor. Do the acting in it. And I was like, oh, I was going to play the waitress. <laughs> Which is now my really good friend, Catherine Bennett-Fox. She's fantastic. I mean, so much of the performance is just relying on her facial expressions. She's um, she's like my all-time favourite actress. She can do anything mm. with her face. And just so, her eyes. Yeah. Her eyes deliver the script. Yeah. She's brilliant. And in a way, there's a, a little bit of a, a similar vibe to your performance as the estate agent. Where yeah. seemingly quite pleasant but with a slightly menacing I think that's, underbelly. Yeah, I think with my um, uh, film, that's going to get me typecast. Yeah, I think when I was at an acting class and they said my type for casting would be, do you know there's a woman in Luther with red hair who plays kind of nice psychopath? Yes. Yeah, that's apparently my casting mm. type. Nice psychopath. So that that is you? Yeah, unfortunately. How yeah. do you feel about that? I, I don't mind. I enjoy playing both those things. <laughs> like, yeah, I think, like, yeah, I I really love acting and I love acting comedy. There's some things I can do really well and I enjoy doing. Mm. And there's plenty of stuff that I don't think this voice or this face is suited to. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> I suppose on, on your spotlight profile, at voice type sweet. Sweet, yeah. Because it sounds, honestly, I can't, I will never listen to this, for example. It's really good, by the way. <laughs> I'll never listen to you myself talking on a podcast. I'll listen to your podcast, but not this episode. Because I sound like a small child and it really annoys me. Oh, I think you're being very self-critical and I think it's inconceivable, inconceivable. That, that you should continue to feel this way. But I should get some Disney work with this voice. Yeah, <laughs> I'd absolutely. love a Pixar. The voice does lead to an immediate likability. And going back to theory of positivity, I've forgotten her surname, the German sound effects sex scene expert. Oh, yeah, Dr. Hafenbaum. What a sweetheart. I wanted to <laughs> adopt her as a family member. She was just, just what a likeable, likeable well, person. Do you know how I get that weird accent? Is in my head I'm doing an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. <laughs> and then it comes out as that, which sounds nothing like him. But it means I can sort of keep the voice consistent. <laughs> and in you know, for those people who do not see the production, and shame on you, how would you describe this character? You're just a, a person who spans time in yeah. the, uh, the canon of, of cinematic history. You're going back to Hitchcock, Hitchcock days. Yeah. And basically coordinating all of the intimate love scenes. Yes. And, and how the segues are done. Yeah, the sex scene cutaway is a yes. classic from the... <laughs> Great, North yeah. by Northwest, love it. Oh, it's a One... brilliant film. Yeah. Again, but, another all-time favourite. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing about that film and all of Hitchcock's efforts is just they they haven't dated. Mm. 
you know, half a century old, yet they're still as you know, vibrant and Yeah, that's fast-paced. what I want to put back in, like, often when I'm writing film scripts. Mm. The thing I love about those is the dialogue, the snappy dialogue. And I'm a real lover of that. And so when writing, that's why I want to put back in those cool plots or moments and those really fast-paced, witty stuff that in modern movies sometimes you miss out on because it's all action sequences or CGI. True. I, I do feel that... New, you know, modern productions take into consideration attention spans, I think, yeah. too much. I think space is a good thing. I mean, intrigue, suspense. Yeah. And so many films do, you know, modern films, it does feel like a relentless barrage at the expense of dialogue. It's yeah. almost as though the script takes a back seat and lets let the CGI you know, dazzle you and let you know the you know, explosions you know carry on to the the next scene and whatnot. And um, and I just think a you know a great script, a yeah. great story is is timeless. And talking of stories, this is a, might appear to be a strange question in the film that you wrote and starred in, a Forget Me Not. Oh yeah, it's you know a bit of a dis functional relationship which is highlighted by an accident is there any autobiographical inspiration (laughs) for that i'm not i'm not implying that you've you know tried to you know run a partner down (laughs) no um but some of the dialogue about how the character's boyfriend you know doesn't get on with parents and how you know he's self-centered and whatnot is this something you've been through yourself uh no not at all (laughs) i've got to admit like um it does kind of intrigue me, uh, that kind of, I guess, unhealthy relationships. Oh, this is a coffee shop dumping! Freddie, you're being loud! Somewhere public where I couldn't make a scene! You're making a scene now! And then bye-bye, Freddie! Who dumped who? You're being childish! I dumped you! No, you didn't! I dumped you because you're incompetent, inconsiderate, and my parents don't like you! What I was worried about with the, sh- with the film, actually, for a while, because originally in the script, but we couldn't quite get it to work, they're meant to be repeatedly doing it to each other, mm. so that the Freddy uh, also runs over Laura, and it repeatedly happens. Oh! And that so they're meant to be as bad as each other. Right. Yet, when the director looked at the script, he said, that's not what we're getting from it, we're going to do it this way. And I remember thinking, I'm really worried about that, because for me evenness in relationships is so important so yeah so I worried about it for ages and I thought no it is just a comedy film it's fine I don't need to make everything about healthy relationships (laughs) so I can show an unhealthy one on screen and it will be okay it is for comedy value yeah but I did worry about it for a while so no not personally I'm all for evenness in relationships yeah so positivity extends throughout your work in a way where positively meaning that you know you you, you don't want the imbalance to be yeah, yeah. displayed in your work but I mean to be fair though isn't imbalance a, a reality of life yeah I think it's how you how you deal with it so I think like even when you're writing you think what are you trying to say with your film and it's never going to be the same because everyone interprets what you write in different ways mm. but you still should take ownership I think of what you are at least trying to say so in Miss Universe it's a really silly comedy mm. about aliens attacking a beauty pageant but underlying that is a story about women working together mm. and how you're stronger together than you are apart and I think it's important to have 
to care about what you're saying otherwise why are you writing it in the first place so yeah I did worry a little bit about that film but still put it out there so it's fine <laughs> it comes across really really well and it's open-ended in terms of how it yeah we've left it open yes <laughs> yeah what happens next indeed <laughs> who hit who <laughs> with regards to Miss Universe which I've only read the blurb about I don't know how far in the production you are but the description of it sounds incredibly just up my alley which is <laughs> what the thing meets <laughs> mean girls yes and the references to, to Heathers, I think probably yeah, from a dark yeah. comedy point of view. Yeah. That's been really important because we've been explaining it to producers and they go, so what kind of comedy? We're like, no, 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 do not think Legally Blonde, please. <laughs> think darker, darker mm. comedy than that. There's real horror elements in the film too. And I'm a big fan of Heathers. I haven't seen it recently, but uh, it's I, I remember it being a, a great film and just a, a fantastic black comedy which mm. is genuinely funny and is genuinely black and i think especially post tarantino's film canon in the 90s a lot of films used black comedy I think, inappropriately where yeah. there might be a couple of jokes but it'd just be more more you know sort of dark and mysterious and yeah. awash with blood you know heather's managed to have that balance in, in quite a beautiful way the one thing that i picked up from the blurbs that i've, I've read about Miss Universe is, you know, you've got um, beauty pageant adversaries who then have to work together in light of this alien invasion. Yeah. So it, it's keeping up the tradition of buddy yeah. films where they're adversaries at first, but they have to work together. Yeah. And then with that, you know, comes solidarity and women working together on a female led film, yeah. which is brilliant. More of that, please. It's yeah. 2017. <laughs> and how far along in the production of that are you? When when are we going to be able to see oh, it? If only I could say it's next week. <laughs> uh, You've we, got 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, we've got to finish it. Um, no, we're still, so we've been redrafting. So we got through to, we, we did this final of microwave scheme, mm. uh, Film London microwave scheme. So we redrafted around that. And then following the end of that that scheme we got some notes back from it and so we've been redrafting the film based off of that and some other notes from people we really trust that work in the genre and so yeah to because the microwave had we got that scheme would have been a much smaller budget so we're trying to go for a slightly bigger budget now so we're redrafting to that budget yeah uh yeah so in the process of finding someone who will pay for it <laughs> money who needs it you guys do yeah. um big time and when it eventually is realised, is this this is going to be a, a cinematic release? Uh, that, I, d I don't know. This is where you probably need to speak to like Kate and Doug. Doug mm. is our producer and Kate is the director. And they are really good at all of the film stuff. They mm. know who to ask. They organise things. They go to networking events. And I am good at sitting at the computer with Kate and writing. And I forget what the names of people we're meant to have met. I forget everything we're meant to do. And occasionally I see emails from them with spreadsheets. And I go, great work, guys. <laughs> Well done. So I don't really know that side of it. I know the writing's a lot of fun. <laughs> we're still finishing it. <laughs> and yeah, we're still polishing it. And I think early November, we'll send it off the latest draft off to people. Lovely. 
is casting being thought about yet or is it too early of a stage and dependent upon yeah too early a stage yeah it will depend a lot on budgets there will always be people i think kate will have in mind of people that she thinks will be good but it's it depends who gets on board it's like a committee sometimes i think in film as to decide Mm. who who goes into a film yeah, indeed. So. yeah it gets quite politicized where you might have a potential funder and they only want to give you the the wonga um if so-and-so is involved for us they just have to be good actors and funny <laughs> that's our kind of if they're not that then we don't want them <laughs> absolutely it. and this is where you know casting is going to be crucial yeah in your head when you were writing did you have people in mind or characters past and present who possibly you had as a spokesperson in your brain when you were coming up with dialogue uh i do i'd i had it's quite interesting because it's not necessarily the same for kate but for, mm. only for one of the characters i had a comedian friend of mine in my head um not not their comedy character voice and not their real voice just them there's something about them that i was like I, picturing you delivering those lines helped me write it and so some of that's good. And there's like actors that I'd sometimes think of for lines just to see like you'd imagine that line if they said it. But most of the time, me and Kate will just act them out to each other really badly <laughs> to hear them out loud. <laughs> and she laughs at me because sometimes I'm pulling faces while I write and she goes, are you acting out the lines? And I go, yes, I am. It helps me know whether it sounds right. Absolutely. So if you will, you have private muses yes and having one who's a friend is particularly useful oh yeah no and, and well no actually that wasn't not a friend is someone who i think is a really good comedian oh, I have right. since oh, met I them, but right. yeah just yeah and well actually often um like catherine Bennett fox who i mentioned before mm. i have thought of her in parts before because she's but she's so versatile she could play anything mm. but sometimes i picture what would she do if that was that that part and it helps right yeah but sometimes, no. Sometimes I just write a part and I picture a fictional person. Right. Oh, fair enough. Whatever gets you through the page. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, a, a tremendous achievement to be able to realise it, finish it, tweak it, which it mm. sounds like you're doing now, and then to know that the prize is the finished film, the final film. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that process ends and also it ends up leaving your hands in a way as soon as funders are involved i I presume yeah yeah Uh, the great thing is having kate on board as a director and i don't think we'd ever sign it off to anyone where that wasn't guaranteed right because i don't as a writer you don't have any power or say you write it and then hand it over but i'm handing it over to kate who i wrote it with and so i'm like i'm fine i'm so happy because everything she's directed i love She's got a real sense of humour and tells things like we agree on humour so much that I'm like, I am not worried. If Kate's happy, I just back her. I was like, yes, what she said. And then that's fine. So I don't I feel really relaxed about that side of it. I'm like, yeah, hand it to Kate. (laughs) She'll look after it. Trust, synergy. It all goes back to you being tied up in the bath. It it, it is mutual trust. I know it sounds flippant and silly, but in, in a way that became the foundation of your relationship yeah. trust and respect yeah because it is a weird thing to be asked you know right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. how would you like to uh, do this film it's going to take 48 hours over a weekend you're gonna be tied up and put in a bath yeah. and 
now that you know each other and are working together, that same trust you know, is yeah. extended. It's, it's, yeah. it's as though you're still tied up and in the bath. Still? <laughs> I'll tell her that. That's okay. With you, it's like I'm still tied up and in a bath. I mean, that's going to be really, really exciting to you know see what happens to that. Also, I mean, that the final product and where things go, things have changed. The there was once a time where you know if it wasn't on the silver screen, it you know it didn't count, and television mm. would be uh, you know Plan B. But in these Netflix days, yeah, it's all very different. It's really, really exciting, and also that the fact that the way that people engage with art is different. Yeah, though and... I do miss. Do you miss? Because I really miss sharing shows with people when they're all on the same day and then the only one i get that with still is like better call saul because oh, so many of my friends yeah. watch that yeah, yeah. and it was always out on a tuesday night so by wednesday or thursday when we catch up at improv we'd be like oh, did you see it this week and you could chat and i was like i've missed this binge watching does mm. foster a, a very solitary existence yeah you can't talk you have to go like are you at this episode? <laughs> you have to be so careful it's like in 13 seconds it's going to start again <laughs> and i had a bad experience once i was having a bit of a dark moment of the soul mm. i've i've dealt with these demons it's fine but i was having one of those weekends and i was watching something i've got to say it wasn't very good so i'm not going to tell you what it is it was an animated <laughs> production disappointing but i decided to pursue it thinking it would improve and at one stage netflix came up with a blurb on my screen which said something along the lines of, are you still watching this? Oh. <laughs> I'd gone through so many episodes back to back. The system wondered whether or not I'd fallen yeah. asleep yeah. or had I've left had the that room. Message, yeah. and, and that's when I realised, Andrew, you need to get alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My word. It's um, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you sure you want to see this again? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> make some tea. Yeah, it, it's... Um, Better Call Saul was, was great, mm. is great, because Love of it. that Tuesday weekly factor. Obviously, now that the series has been on, people can binge watch it. Yeah. But with something as exciting as that, you know, he wanted to watch it the week that it came yeah. out. And the Tuesday night factor, yeah, uh, I good. I was <laughs> had a couple of moments where, hang on, it's not come up yet. It's not come up yet. Yeah, the it's week come, when yes. it wasn't on. Do you remember those one week oh, when they didn't have it? Yes. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? Well, is Netflix having problems? Or is it that it's only available for people to see in the Americas? And if so, uh, yeah. and yeah, it was a week that it wasn't on. Yes, mm. I, I remember that well. I texted some mates. We were all... <laughs> we were all really sad on that day. <laughs> it was a bad day. Did you like the most recent series? Yeah, I loved it. It divided a number of my friends, though. Uh, yeah. A few people I know tuned out. It was a, a much more kind of slower-moving, intense affair. I loved it for that. I loved it. Yeah, I think... The, the cinematography oh, was gorgeous. The acting and the writing is so beautiful oh. that courtroom episode in the last oh of course yes back to law indeed <laughs> maybe it's because it's about lawyers i just love it <laughs> oh i just realized that link now <laughs> of course and also odenkirk oh my, my gosh yeah word Wh where did all of that come from yeah because like because he's so funny and but i never knew he could act that well and he's phenomenal at all of it in Better Call Saul. It's... He, he really, really is. I mean, in Breaking Bad, he was, play particularly in his first appearances on that programme, you know, he was playing up to his to his strengths. Yeah. Well, his, his initial strengths, you know, which is comedy. Yeah. And being, you know, off-kilter comedy at yeah. that. And as that, as, you know, that particular 
um, program developed and his character developed and in Better Call Saul, he, I'm just amazed at how effectively he underplays things yeah. and how his face um, is able to tell the story. A lot of his early comedic efforts were quite in your face, quite unsubtle. And he's just embraced subtlety and he's a tremendous talent. Yeah, I think wow. he's also given the opportunity because sometimes I think... True, yeah, true. You are cast again in certain boxes mm. so given the opportunity to actually play drama as well as comedy because in uh larry sanders show like because that's quite a subtle yes. playing of big fan brilliant. of that oh, big fan yeah. of that program it's great oh, i uh, love love gary shandling and yeah. uh, his passing last year really really hit me hard uh, i watched the entire box set that mm. was a, a case where um, I was very happy to continue watching and being on DVD, there's no reminders of when <laughs> yeah. the next episode would be on. But yeah, it is a very different, his performance in that particular series um, showed versatility then as well, you know, back mm. in the, in the 90s. Yeah, of course, as the, as the agent that you don't want to, to trust. Yeah, in yeah. a way, a, a bit of a precursor to yeah, I think it was. Better Call Saul. And, uh, and also he plays um, a, an ex-porn star in Kirby Enthusiasm. Oh my gosh. It, which I think it's one of the early-ish series, maybe series two, series three. And when you watch it, um, you'll never think about Tabasco in the same way again, <laughs> is all that I will say. You know what Tabasco's good for? Keep your heart. Really? Yeah. Only no, you got to uh, stick it up your ass. Oh. <laughs> we were talking off-pod about free association yes. the improv group that you are a part of, that you also teach in. Yes. And of the... The sheer enjoyment of doing improv and yeah. training in it and, and that it's a good life. Yeah, it makes you more laid back because you have to go with the flow. You don't have anything prepped and you've got to trust people on stage. So I think improv is really good for that because the whole principles are you agree with each other and you build on each other's ideas. Mm. It's a laugh. And Free Association has had you know, tremendous accolades and the reviews are, are amazing and being likened to second city out of chicago honestly you you could die now it, <laughs> yeah. it's that is a tremendous tremendous accolade um to to have and and also i understand that you there's some imports from the americas who take part um with free association can you tell yeah. me a bit about that oh, yes yeah. so the two well, there's four directors of the of the free association two of them who are the performer directors are graham dixon mm. and michael orton tolliver so graham is from ostentatious our chortle award-winning improv hit that are going to be in the west end yeah, oh, they're having a West End oh, run. Talking about Edinburgh goals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Whoa. so they're amazing. Uh, I think like Ostentatious and Showstoppers are our two biggest UK improv shows. Mm. Uh, Olivier Award winning Showstoppers well, as well. And Showstoppers, which features Pip. former Duke Radio Show guest mm. Pippa Evans and uh, yeah. Force of Nature. So, yeah, mm. yeah amazing improvisers. So the Austin lot are also really, really good improvisers that have done this amazing show. And Graham and Mike uh, OT is from the States. So he's mm. previously worked with Boom Chicago. He's done some work with UCB. He's uh, come over from LA, but now lives in the UK. And uh, it's kind of the head teacher. Mm. That makes him sound like he's <laughs> like Professor X, <laughs> but he is. So he helped a lot with the syllabus. He's led on the syllabus that we teach. Uh, he's a phenomenal improviser, and though they both are, mm. and so they lead the school and the shows. And yeah, it's really good fun. 
oh, and I forgot to say, yeah, Mike O.T., the other thing I told you before, mm. Offod, was that he created with Chris Gow, one of our other improvisers, Borderline, which is on Channel 5 and oh, up for word. an award as well. Oh, right. So, I mean, it's it's a, a creative hub. Yeah. Tra- amazing talent. We're really lucky with the people who are in the Free Association, because David Elms is there, Liz Kingsman, who's done a lot of sitcom stuff, is a massive dad, um, and in the same team as me. A very very good comedian so we're really lucky with the talented people we have in the team and in the company mm. so yeah it does feel like fun but there's like the whole improv community in london is so much bigger than it used to be and improv people used to sneer at a little bit in the uk mm. i think if you said you did improv it was embarrassing a while back people kind of look at it and go really mm. like in auditions and stuff you'd never mention it and now Every audition I go to, they ask you to improvise in. A cultural shift. Yeah. I think at one time, and I'm so sorry for the callback, mm-hmm. at one time it, I would imagine people would think, you know, is it inconceivable for you to learn some <laughs> yeah. dialogue? Yeah. The acting profession is the backbone of our creative pursuits. Yeah. Um, do you think some of that comes from the, the American imports that we've been having and that we're more open to it and that people coming of age and beginning their creative careers I think are that, aware of kind of the kind of the American improv scene or are we yeah. just far more open minded in, in this country now and we should just applaud ourselves for developing <laughs> and being better people. I think really it's just got there's more better improv around. There's better training around, there's better actual shows around. So mm. like Showstoppers and Ostentatious didn't exist a while back. I'd say they're very British shows. They're right. not like anything in the States. Um, yeah, we've also had the States influence. You can't deny like the influence of Saturday Night Live and the actors in that and their prevalence in comedy films. My word, I mean, yeah. that so many people now go, the people I love in comedy are improvisers. Mm. So they want to learn improv and they want to do improv. So I think that's got people interested in it. We've got now loads of people doing it and people are coming to watch trained improvisers. (laughs) But when I started out doing improv in London, it was at the end of a stand-up night, a load of stand-ups would do improv games as a laugh and it wasn't great quality. And I'm like, now I go do improv shows with improvisers Mm. who have learned to do improv and do long form improv and do scenes and do great fun improv. There's, brilliant improvisers at the comedy store that have been there for a long time but other than that there wasn't a big remit of good improv shows to go see so the ones people were seeing were bad and now they can see a lot of good improv shows there's not just free association there's monkey toast and hoopla there's a lot of stuff going on Mm. and also at edinburgh fringe there are uh not flicks the musical improvisational entities and damned fine they are so in a way, we've just got good in this country. Yeah, I think people Yay have us. got better. <laughs> yeah. We've got better. And also people are beginning to realise that if they see a bad improv show, it doesn't mean all improv is bad. <laughs> like They've worked out that sometimes it, it you can go see there's a lot of good improv shows now and you can actually go and enjoy them. When you are teaching uh, a class, which you're going to yeah. be doing later on, how large is that class and what disciplines and backgrounds do these people come from? So the classes, we have a maximum of 14 in our classes. Right, so that's capped. Station. That's you, you capped, can, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good number. Any more yeah. would be untenable, really, yeah. to do effective work. Yeah, and you want to have enough. Like, we've done some classes that are smaller than that, particularly with our intensive courses, and it's fine, but they get exhausted. <laughs> and, they, and you don't have as many people watching, so there's less laughter in the room. So sometimes in the smaller classes, they can be like, oh, but they're still fun to do. But 14, we've kind of feel more 
than that mm. and it's you just can't get through all the material or you, people don't get enough chances and the backgrounds of them we've had people from all over the entertainment industry so you have comedians writers producers directors mm. we also have people that are just in other jobs that are not creative at all mm. and want to either do something fun or get over a fear of public speaking or do something that kind of pushes them out of their comfort zone and so yeah we get a real mix getting people out of their shells are you aware of the amazon program transparent oh i haven't seen it but i am aware yes because i don't have an amazon account because mm. i worry they're evil they are so i need to wait i'm gonna buy it on dvd I'm really old school. I've never illegally downloaded something. So mm. I need to wait till I can legally. It's like Silicon Valley is a show I love, but I'm seasons behind because I have to wait till it comes out on DVD. From a legal perspective, I suppose it makes perfect sense that you're going to follow the relevant <laughs> agreements. I'm just a big old geek. That's and what it is. And in Transparent, in the most recent series, a, a character who has no theatrical background, who is in her 70s, who decides to join an improv group oh. and it gets uh, a newfound confidence mm. as well as some interesting byproducts, which I will not tell you about, but it's worth watching. And, oh, uh, yeah. and Tam, you know, who you will yes. remember as Hank Kingsley yes. from Larry Sanders is, Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> yeah. Picture me. <laughs> he, he's tremendous. It's on my list. I have a very long list of shows on there. <laughs> I can't stress how he is just uh, really breathtaking in, in Transparent. I mean, he's better than the programme is, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> the programme, it, it's okay. It, it's good that the, the cast are amazing. The performances are better than the, the script. They need they need a bit of briny action, oh. I think. <laughs> and that is definitely way too kind. I haven't even seen the show, but I've heard it's very good. Yes. Well, what you need to do is download it illegally. No! And, and then when they hire you... You can take it out of your wages. Practically just Lisa Simpson grown up. I cannot do it. <laughs> and do, so do you think about kind of the legal ramifications of of everything that you do? For instance, mm. when you are, do you, are you an iPhone user? Do you have an iPhone? I don't. I have right. a smartphone. Right. You have a smartphone. But presumably you've been in situations whereby you've downloaded applications and you have had to agree to some oh, sort of yeah. terms and conditions do you read through each and every no, word i do not and also you know that's well i don't want to give it as advice see that's legal training this is not advice <laughs> yeah. there is a case i can't remember its name but there's something like if a if in a contract there's something that's really bad or going to really impinge your rights they kind of have to flag it they can't just write it in small print and put it with everything else mm. they need to actually flag it which when I joined my gym is true because there were two clauses that were awful and they had to make me sign that I'd read them <laughs> so it's like really if there's loads of terms and conditions I think well there's something awful in it you probably had to let me know more than that so I tick them right so if something happens to me and it meant that I've just decided to tick it because I've taken your advice. No, don't, it's not then, advice. I can, I can then <laughs> no, sue no, you. This is not legal oh, advice. Okay. My legal training is out of date. I've no idea if this case law has changed. 
and um yeah no it's not advice but I I am more cautious with my privacy though I often like I have <laughs> I for like online shopping mm. no not online shopping because you have to use your card but for like you know when you have to sign into websites yes and you give them your name and email address mm. I have a fake email address a fake date of birth and a fake name I use so that right. I can sign into stuff without them giving me junk mail I think that just makes sense yeah. in in 2017 that's the right thing to do yeah because it just information is so quickly exchanged and yeah. the next thing you know you'll just become a receptacle for marketing and, and whatnot so I think that's the the right thing and Theory of Positivity, I'd love to see it at somewhere like Soho Theatre. Is there any chance of you taking that show to somewhere else apart from Edinburgh? Yeah, I did intend to, and then I got really busy when I got back from Edinburgh. So I was going to look, because I did say to like people, oh, I'll do it in London, and then I haven't, and now I'd have to relearn it. So part of me is going, should I just write the next one? <laughs> So I'm a real, I have a bad habit of doing that. I was going to do it last year and I never did my show again because I came back and I went, I have other work to do, writing work, like the film stuff. There's loads I've got on. So I kind of think I would, but I kind of have almost said bye to that show. It's temporary beauty. It, mm. it you, you, Basically, you came, you did it, <laughs> it ended. And if you missed it, well. It's the improv thing. I get bored easily and I want to write uh, the new one. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And talking about improv and that particular show, Theory, Theory of Positivity, you certainly required that your audience had some knowledge of Shakespeare. And that particular performance I went to, there was a, a, a woman who I have a feeling may have been a, a teacher and was able to be <laughs> very... She earned a lot of twix, that particular performance. Yeah. Did you have any shows where you had people that were not uh, you know, fans of... Uh, you know what this says a oh, lot about the Edinburgh Festival. In every single show, the question about the Winter's Tale mm. was answered correctly by either the first clue or I had to sometimes give a second clue, which is exit pursued by a bear. And everyone got it after that. Right. There was several shows where no one knew the winners of Love Island. Oh, right. <laughs> that oh. was the much trickier question. <laughs> So I was like, oh, this this is Edinburgh. <laughs> this is the Edinburgh audience. So you are your own demography. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they did not know Love Island. I got several times the answer, who cares, due to the Love Island question. But everyone really thought about the Shakespeare one. <laughs> did your guitar playing improve at all during no, your time at the Fringe? No, it got worse. You, you, you made reference to the fact that you hadn't learned to tune no, it or play it. No, not at all. Right. No well, idea. Well, maybe... Last year, I learned the recorder. <laughs> oh, what a, what a wonderful instrument it is. Somebody learning how to play. <laughs> and what did you, do you have a, a party piece that you can play on that? Uh, no, last year, the show before, uh, I was playing a character called Claire, the world's most boring name, mm. uh, who was just an everyday person who always dreamed of being one of them cool singer-songwriters mm. who could play an instrument and sing. But she'd only learnt recorder, so I would then proceed to play uh, Hey Jude and sing it at the same time on the recorder I like during to... the show. <laughs> and did you succeed? It's... I think I did. Oh, fair enough. You, you made it your own. Yeah. It kind of continued longer than anyone expected it to during the show. Oh, yeah, you have to ride that one out. Yeah, it's just where people laugh, then the they silence... Stop. <laughs> And then it's, how long is this going to yeah. go? I'm a very big fan of that. I think it pays off in the end. Hey, Jude, 
mean, if people want to find out more about your good self, there's this thing called the internet. Mm. How do they locate you? Uh, I do have a website and a varying time of the year it's it's accurate because I update it. <laughs> so it's not always accurate because <laughs> sometimes I forget I have it. But yeah, so you can find me at www.brianyredmond.com or uh, yeah, or probably via the free associations easier because <laughs> they are better at that. And my final question, we were discussing off pod that you had never had tea. No. Um, I've never even tried it. So you, you are a tea list. There's no, yeah. there's no Boston Tea Party Mm-mm. or a Chiswick Tea Party, Mm-mm. and there's that, a lot of coffee and brownies. No tea. I mean, that's incredible. And you were you were born in the United Kingdom. Yes, you were brought up in the United here. Kingdom. Yeah. Yet your heart is is Italian. <laughs> yeah, I like coffee. Or French, or or any you know, Finland, any part of the world <laughs> yeah. which embraces coffee. Everywhere else, basically. <laughs> and so, and and do you? feel that this will continue through your life that yeah, you're going to be I tealess don't, i don't like the smell of tea and the smell is pretty much linked to taste so i'd have to hold my nose and drink it so i think what's the point in a way the possibility of you ever having tea it's, it's pretty uh, slim inconceivable inconceivable <laughs> briny it has been an absolute pleasure a privilege and an honor to have you on the dookie radio show thank you very much for being you and for being here thank you for having me let's go and grab a coffee <laughs> In the loop, I'm listening from behind the door. In the loop, recording your thoughts and maybe even more. In the loop, boys will banter and girls will talk. In the loop, real observations are what I stuck. Whoa, 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 in the loop. Final to share of what I heard with you. And it's the return of In the Loo. I can't remember when this segment was last on. It's been too long. And it felt the right time to bring it back on account of the fact that the lovely Bryony Redmond's career has been, if you will, built around lose. I find that very surprising. It's been the arc of her career. I find that very surprising indeed. I don't know why, but I just do. Two very important experiences happened to her in the loo. I think you've got a story about being in the loo that I'm approaching with some trepidation. I was in... Yeah, Sylph doesn't really do below the waist, this Dookie, doesn't... as we know. This doesn't involve toilet talk as such, mm. but the conversation that I'm about to share with you... Yes. ...took place in the loo. This involves banter between boys. Were you at a gig, Dookie? Yes, I was at a, a gig that... I was indeed taking part in. Yes. The location, Stamford, Lincolnshire. Rock and roll! A very beautiful town, genuinely. It's really lovely. Even more rock and roll. Punky rock and roll. Very friendly town. Everyone we met there during our eight or so hours in the jewel and the crown of Lincolnshire. Very friendly. Really engaging, including 
this one chap who cornered me quite literally in the loo. I went in to the loo of a venue yes. called the Voodoo Lounge. Oh, dookie. There are other venues in Lincolnshire. Voodoo Lounge is a very nice place. And decent facilities in this one particular instance, just one cubicle. And I had to go into the cubicle. I'll say nothing oh, more Dukey. than it's, that. It's hard being a man because you have a, you have to make a choice, yes. don't you? And and it's just, life's hard enough without more choices. This is true. And this was a, a sitting down performance. Look at Sylph. She's not like loving this at all, Dookie. And just as I close the door, I hear the voice of a man who just entered the facilities not the very cubicle I was in, but the, the general, yes, what the Canadians call a washroom. Yeah. And I hear this. Excuse me, you're playing downstairs, aren't you? I was like, oh, yes. You know what I mean? What sort of music do you do? Well, it's I'm just playing with an artist. It's slightly punky, melodic, fair. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't say much. You should have said, right now I'm trying to do ass music. Yes. Right now I'm I'm trying to do a performance of my own, yeah. which I was. And he goes, well, I mean, what? I mean, it's like different kinds of punk. And I said, well, you know, this is the more kind of tuneful end of it. Through the bathroom door, yes. Dookie. And then I hear him and he's starting to do a performance oh, of his own. Oh, Dookie. Oh, so he was in the next cubicle. No, he no, was, he no, was, no there's he only was one a, cubicle. At the urinal. Yeah, he was appointing Percy at porcelain. Dookie. And so, you know, I hear basically what sounds like uh, somebody working for the fire brigade, doing their business, putting out a fire. And, and he's like, I mean, what, what, you know, like, is there any uh, that band that you could compare it to? I said, like, well, you know, this is a female-fronted band. X-Ray Specs comes to mind. That's who the singer of this particular outfit uh, sounds a bit like. Oh, right, so, so it's kind of like, you know, first-generation punk. Now, I mean, for me, I mean, like, I might not necessarily love punk, but it's I'm in the thrash music and stuff, that thrash metal. All the while you're mm. trying to evacuate, yes, Dookie. And he then extols the he extols the virtues of particularly first generation and second generation punk, and how were it not for those respective movements, no pun intended. Oh, Dookie, the He's the thrash metal scene would not have happened. So, like for instance, bands like Anthrax would reference British punky bands like like Discharge. Again, no, no Dookie, pun intended. Stop, Dookie. The puns are making it much worse. And you know, he says, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to try to calm down. You know, tickets are a bit dear." And, you know, I said, listen, I'm really sorry. I wish I could put you on the guest list. There isn't one because it's it's for a charity event. And he then waited for me to oh, finish Jesus. my business. Oh, Jesus. And I then was washing my hands. And then after I <laughs> finished washing my hands and then, do, and then doing the, the, the obvious things that uh, preceded that, flushing happened and so on. <laughs> he then, excuse me. He, <coughs> He was waiting there, continuing the conversation as I was washing my hands. Oh, dookie. And introduced himself to me, said, I hope you have a great gig. And then he gave me a hug. 
all within the confines he gave you a hug of the facilities. In the bathroom? Yes. yes. After you've all just finished your business? Yes. That's that's kind of nice. I did say that the people in Stanford were friendly. Dookie, that is that is friendliness gone bizarro. So, you know, you just can't talk to people when hmm. you're eliminating. You just can't. It should be a law. You're not wrong. I've tried to talk to Sylv through the bathroom door before. It, it's not happening. All girls can do is really just say, you know, can do you have any toilet paper? Because I seem to be out in this cubicle. <clears throat> or I'll meet you outside. There's also another exchange that surely happens, which is whether or not certain feminine hygiene products are available in case you've found yourself caught short. I've never been in that situation, but yes, I suppose it does. Mm. I mean, it's usually a toilet paper situation. Female solidarity. I can't talk while I'm trying to do other things. Not that I do things like that, because girls don't do things like that. No. But if I did... They are made of sugar and spice and apparently all things nice. I do stuff like that and I'm a girl. And I don't mind. I mean, I think going down that level of philosophizing about a, a, a musical movement, no pun intended, is maybe taking it one step beyond. Mm. Personally. You know, at one point I might say, you know, can you give me a minute? You know, like, can you give me a minute? But, yeah. I mean, ultimately, this chap was talking about the big four while I was doing a big number two. I think we should leave it there. Well, that is indeed your lot. Bryony is as nice as she is talented, and she is a creative triple threat. Honestly, I felt 40% happier after we'd finished our interview because she just left a bit of that fluffy goodness that oozes out of each and every pore on her body. You've been listening to an interview with Bryony Redman. My name is Dukey and I've been your host and a happier host for having Bryony on the Dukey Radio Show. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Oh, I think it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. It will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The thin white Dukey is right Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show Me and Roy, we've been eating a lot of pies, didn't it? Hundreds, probably hundreds since the last time I was here in this studio, Dukey that, That's how long it's been Hundreds of pies, hundreds 
and the last time me hearing me bikini wasn't it now me me onesie with the back flaps because you need a back flap in your onesie don't you dookie so that you can go and do your business without getting all your bits out in it you don't want to get all your bits out when you're doing your business do you dookie no you need the back flap so you can just go down and let the the back flap down and do your business in it that's how long it's been dookie so now i'm wearing me onesie with me back flap it ain't good enough, Dookie. I don't want to hear no excuses, isn't it? How old am I, Dookie? How old? I'm getting too old for this. You don't know how long I've got left. Look at me. You don't know how long. Is it this long? You know, I could be dead in the time that the last time I was here in the studio. Isn't it, Dookie? Like you don't even give you no two shits about how long it's been. Isn't it, Dookie? It ain't good enough.